Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us, this, joining us this morning. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the gift of music that can just lift our souls, help us celebrate and see you at the beginning of this week. I thank you for the truths those songs represent. Lord, this morning, I thank you for your spirit who will be our teacher, who will guide us. And we just pray that we would surrender not just our minds, but our wills and our hearts to what you would share with us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm surrounded by Christians and always have been. I, I'm a Christian. My parents were Christians. I married a Christian. My wife is a Christian. Most of the people I work with at Second Baptist are Christians. Now, Dr. Young and Ben have nobly warned us not to set ourselves in Christian ghettos, but that begs the question, what is a Christian? What makes a Christian different from people who aren't or don't claim that title? Dr. Gordon Fee, a renowned New Testament scholar, has said, if you were to go back to the first century, the earliest Christians, the one thing they would never ask you is, are you saved? It's a very common question today, are you saved? He says, it wouldn't have even been in their vocabulary. It wasn't in their mindset. He said, he said, instead they would have asked you, do you have the Spirit? Do you have the Spirit? Now, I don't like to pit those two questions against each other. They're both important. Um, but are you saved, if you think about the nuance, points to something in the past and the future. Have you made a decision for Jesus? It's important. And in the future, are, are you going to heaven, that matters as well. But do you have the Spirit speaks of a present reality? Do you sense God's personal presence empowering you, convicting you, comforting you, encouraging you, and, and teaching you? That's life in the present that the early church lived with. And sometimes we lose that today when we just focus on are you saved? Because it tells us that being a Christian isn't just about what happens when you die. Being a Christian affects how you think and feel and love differently while you are alive. We're continuing in our series through 1 Corinthians. And in the passage today, 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through the end of the chapter, Paul's going to tell us what it means to have the Spirit. What life is in the Spirit and the difference that makes. We're going to begin with verse 11. And Paul says this, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We've been talking for several weeks. There are a lot of divisions in Corinth along Christian celebrities and all of that. But Paul, frankly, had no tolerance for divisions within the church. In fact, Paul would say, everything that we fight about today isn't significant in our life. 
And really realize what I'm about to say is going to be shocking to some people, depending on where you've been or what you heard, because sometimes the Bible just goes against the force of our culture. But if you read Galatians 3.28, Paul would say the most important thing about you is not your race, it is not your gender, it is not your class. He says we are neither Jew nor Greek, which is everybody. We're not male or female. We're not slave or free, the class Because we are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul would say, we can't define ourselves by the things the world fights about. That isn't what matters most. Instead, Paul says, the one distinction he'll make is this. Are you natural or are you spiritual? It's the only distinction Paul will say. Are you natural or are you spiritual? The Greek words he uses there are the psychikoi natural people and the pneumaticoi, the spiritual people. And he says each one looks at the world in different ways and values different things. That when God's spirit is within us, we value different things. We think different things. We love different things. The natural person who does not have the spirit can't receive the things of God. They just don't even look like they're valuable to them. Here's an analogy. Would a blind man, I'm not talking about an investment, I'm talking about personal enjoyment. Would a blind man spend $50 million to buy a Rembrandt? No, he can't see it. It's of no worth to him. Would a deaf woman pay $500 for a ticket to hear the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra? Widely considered one of the most preeminent orchestras in the world. The the music would be exquisite. The conducting would be among the best. She's not going to pay any money. It's of no value to her because she can't hear it. Paul says the same thing is true of natural people. They can hear the things of God, but they just don't see the value. They don't see the purpose. And so he says, instead of dividing ourselves along the lines of earthly identity, our gender, our class, our race, Paul says we identify ourselves by what we are in Christ. We're all one in Christ. If you want three things to oppose, gender, class, and race, Paul would say this. We are united because we're all created by God, saved by God, and set apart for God. Those are the things that define us, which means spiritual people live for the favor of God, not to please the crowd. Spiritual people live for eternal glory instead of earthly fame. Spiritual people live to exalt Jesus, not themselves. And spiritual people surrender to the Holy Spirit, not their own feelings, lusts, or desires. And this makes us look curious to the world. Like we don't even belong because we, we value different things. And, and in one sense, we don't, Paul says. We're operating in two different dimensions. I've been reading through Francis of Assisi. He wrote a number of admonitions to his followers. And he had this one that just blew me away. He said, if you truly love your enemy, when your enemy sins against you, you should be more appalled at what that sin does to your enemy's soul than the injury done against you. Is it possible when somebody sins against me, I'm more passionate, not about the injury to my body or the injury to my reputation. I'm more concerned, oh, what does this mean for your soul? You're not right with God. Can I, can I be that loving and, and that forgiving? Paul would say, if you're a spiritual person, yeah, because you live by an entirely different dimension. Brittany De La Mora was once known as Jenna Presley, a porn actress. 
She grew up in a home where she said she wasn't affirmed, she wasn't loved, she didn't receive any positive feedback, which she said set her up for an industry that exploited her. Because they said, if you'll just take off your clothes, people say, oh, you're beautiful. They love you. We'll, you'll be a star. We'll make you rich. And they made her kind of rich. She was earning over $30,000 a month. But she spent most of that money on drugs trying to numb the pain. She was suicidal for much of that. And one time came so very close. She ended up becoming a Christian. She, now she's a wife and she's a mom. She, she has a podcast and she looked back and she said, why? You know, I, I, I became an, an actress because I wanted people to adore me. And I had hundreds of thousands of fans telling me how wonderful I was. So why was I on drugs to numb the pain? Why did I want to kill myself when I once thought that would make me happy? And here's what she discerned. Here's what she said. Hundreds of thousands of fans praising me wasn't enough. Because we aren't created to be praised. We're created to give praise to God. That statement, we aren't created to be praised, we're created to give praise. That sets so much of the Christian life in motion. It's such a clear, it's such a beautiful description of the difference between a believer and someone who's not, between the spiritual person and that. I mean, I, I was blown away and I thought about it coming from a woman who hasn't been a Christian that long and less than a decade ago was making porn movies. Here's the thing. I wake up every morning as hungry for knowledge and wisdom as a dying man in the desert is thirsty for water. I don't know. It's just my DNA. I'm waking up. God, tell me something new. I want to learn something new about you. I want to understand something new about the Christian life. And I dive into the best books and the best classics and I'm listening to sermons. Just this week, I'm not breaking. These are just the things I'm doing. I've been going through Augustine's On the Trinity, a fourth century classic on the nature of who God is. But then I go into the 12th century to read Francis of Assisi and Claire, the little sisters. Powerful words about the, you know, obedience and the life. And then for modern, I read modern people too. This is Joshua Chunmin Kang. He's a powerful pastor from Korea. This was translated from the Korean, although he now pastors a church in LA. A wonderful book on what it means to be deep rooted in Christ because I want to read not just the world's best I want to read history's best tell me something I don't know and then I listen to this woman with that background who may have given me the best sentence of the year for me just to feast on and say yeah that's what life's about not living to be praised but living to give praise and it's the picture of chapter one that we were talking about last week if you were here when Paul said look let's be honest we're all a bunch of nobodies when God called us, not many of us were somebodies, but we become somebodies when we receive the Spirit. He gives us the thoughts of God's, and that's how we become somebody. So even though I've been to seminary and have read books like this my entire life, Brittany can be my teacher because she has the Spirit. And the Spirit teaches me through her. Because in God's kingdom, this is the glorious truth. In God's kingdom, what matters isn't what Brittany did 10 years ago. What matters is the woman she is today. A follower of Jesus Christ. A spiritual woman who has the mind of Christ because she has the Spirit of God. She's the ultimate example of a once natural woman 
who becomes a spiritual woman. The whole way she thinks, the way she feels, what she loves, what she desires, what she values has been transformed into something indescribably beautiful. Now if you say, I I want that. I don't want to be the natural person. I want to be the spiritual one. Well, the doorway there might actually surprise you. It's not the doorway we would normally think of. The doorway to the spiritual life. It's humility. It's humility. Our pride, look, our pride is horrendous. It's pervasive. It is the worst thing about us. It's what will lead us to damnation if we are damned. It is. More than the message of Jesus confronts our greed, more than the message of Jesus confronts our lust or our jealousies, the message of Jesus confronts our pride. And the only way we can become spiritual people is to freely receive what God freely gives. Look at verse 12. Now we have received, not achieved, not earned. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That we might understand the things, please read the next three words with me. Freely given us by God. There's no human accomplishment here. There's nothing that we have cornered the market on. In the words of Spurgeon, it is a gift. It is not a prize. There's no other doorway to become a Christian. Fasting will not make you a spiritual man. Studying the Bible will not make you a spiritual woman. Attending church will not make you a spiritual person. The only way is to freely receive what God freely gives. A natural man or woman can't turn himself or herself into a spiritual man or woman any more than a crow can turn itself into an eagle or an elephant can turn itself into a swan. It it, it requires something entirely different. We can't study our way there. We can't discipline our way there. And that's what offends our pride. Being told that we can't get there. I had a good friend in college. I'd spend the better part of a year trying to speak to him about the message of Jesus. And finally, John Fisher was coming to town. He was a wonderful Christian folk singer. I brought him out. I thought, maybe that will open up his heart. One of John's signature songs before he did an altar call was, yeah, I'm nobody important, but the chorus goes like this. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar, this is where I found bread. My friend was so offended at that song. He was angry. He told me afterwards, Gary, I'm no beggar. He ended up becoming a lawyer. I'm not saying there's a connection, but he goes, I'm I'm no beggar. Because when I come to God, I'm coming, bringing something. And here's the thing. If he doesn't repent of that pride, it's what will lead to, I hate to say the word, but it's in the, that's what will lead to his damnation. His pride. John Piper has said, and this is, look, I shouldn't have a quote this long in a sermon, but it's so good. Please bear with me. I believe you'll be blessed if you do. John Piper puts it this way. When the natural man hears this, he says, that's foolish. Why? Not because he doesn't understand its meaning, but because he loves the praise of men. He loves the exhilaration of accomplishing great things in reliance on himself. He loves the autonomy of pulling his own strings. He loves the sense of esteem that he can get through the use of his intelligence or skill or talent or strength. 
The suggestion that all this should be left on the bridge while he jumps off into the arms of Christ is to him simply ridiculous. In our natural condition, we cannot prefer Christ over self-glorying. The desire for credit is too great. Jesus said, how can you believe who receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Faith in Christ is foolishness to the natural man because the essence of the natural man is his love of self-determination and the sense of power and pride that come from it. While the essence of faith in Christ is to say, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Christ. So you don't have to be an Einstein to receive this. It's freely given. You don't have to be a saint like Francis of Assisi or Claire of the Little Sisters. It is freely given. It's not about your value or your intelligence. I, I want to be so clear if you're coming here and you don't know where you are in Christ. I am not a Christian because I'm smarter than any person in this room. I'm not a Christian because I'm more disciplined than any person in this room. I'm not a Christian because I'm more moral than you or a better person. I'm a Christian for one reason and one reason only I have freely received what God freely gives the spirit of God the same spirit that is available to anybody in this room today now because everything good we have is freely given we talk to the Christians here for the second for a second Because everything we have that is good, that matters, is freely given to us. Christians should be among the humblest people on the planet. Not saying we are. I'm saying that's what our faith calls us to. It's why Paul said again in 131, we quoted this last week. It's really a key verse for this book. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We make no claim to our own excellence because what we prize most Is something that was given to us. In fact, to be proud and judgmental is to lie to the world about the basis of our hope. That's why pride is so offensive in a Christian. To be proud and judgmental is to lie to the world about the basis of our hope. It's why Francis Assisi, when he was writing in his admonitions to his followers, he was so key. You must never forget. He said, you must never forget how sinful you are. Now he's talking to monks who spent their entire lives praying and fasting and preaching. But he said, you are sinful. You can't forget that. He says, here's how sinful you are. He goes, we know how awful the demons are, right? They're they're vile. They're disgusting. They, They live to overturn the cause of Christ. He says, but Satan didn't use demons to crucify Jesus. It took us humans to do that. Not the demons. It was us. Some might put, not me. And Francis would come back and said, your sins, your vices, your rebellion added to Christ's pain. See, the spiritual person, the Christian, never forgets I contributed to the cross. I made it worse than it had to be. I did that to him. 
But then there's hope because we're forgiven, but we don't want to forget what we've been forgiven of. There's an old legend about the apostle Peter. Remember, he's the one that said to Jesus, I'll never deny you. And Jesus said, oh yeah, before the cock crows three times, once, you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, he did. And after Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended to the Father, Peter has this incredible ministry. God is doing miracles through him. People want to touch his robe. They sit at his feet. But his followers said there would be times when he would be preaching and he would hear a cock crow in the distance. He would stumble. He'd be visibly moved. And he would lose his thoughts. There might even be a tear because he remembered that God is using me. That's who I am. Before I had the Spirit, that's who I am. But then, with that humility, there was a new wind, a new grace, a new power. And he would preach his best stuff. Because you understand, a, a humble man is a man who's dependent on God. A man who's dependent on God receives the things of God. And he becomes a more powerful servant of God. And that's why I can listen to Brittany and her husband's podcast. Look, I've studied under J.I. Packer. He was my advisor in seminary. He was the advisor for my thesis. I was a teaching assistant for Dr. Gordon Fee, whom I quoted this morning. I've had lunch with N.T. Wright. I've spent my life studying libraries of the best books throughout history. But if you were to gather all of that up, all of the lectures, the conversations, the books, the sermons... Put them together. They are not worth one drop of God's favor. And so somebody like Brittany can become my teacher. She has the spirit of God. She can say one sentence. And I'm like, that's it right there. And God gives that same drop to you. It doesn't matter your race, your class, your gender. It doesn't matter your age. If you have the spirit of God, you have Something that is indescribably beautiful, wonderful, more valuable than anything Jeff Bezos could hope to buy or the the most brilliant members of Mensa could hope to understand. If you have the spirit, what we have, and this is what we should prize. According to verse 16, Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. That's why you all can become teachers. Because we have the mind of Christ if we have the Spirit. He said in verse 11, Nobody knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. But when God gives us His Spirit, along with the Spirit comes the mind of Christ. You just can't know God without God explaining God to you. I got married ridiculously young. I was only 22 years old. My wife was almost 20. I put it that way because in my ideal self, in a room full of people, I can't admit that I married a teenager. She's close to 20. And in fact, if you believe as I do that life begins at conception, she wasn't technically a teenager, all right? We could say she was a mature, evolving woman in her young 20s. We'll just put it that way. And so we weren't very emotionally mature we, we didn't have much to go on. We had almost no money. We could barely buy dinner, much less pay for a counselor, which is why we stumbled for our first two years. We would have the biggest fights in our marriage about every 28 days. You could put it on a calendar. It was like clockwork. About every 28 days, we're going to have our biggest fights. 
Now, if there are any husbands out there that say, oh, I know where you're going, can I plead with you? For the love of God, step back from the microphone and don't say, if you connect anything in your marriage or your wife's behavior with anything that happens to her, let's say once a month, don't go there, all right? Just keep your mouth shut. Nothing good ever comes out of that. But on this occasion, Lisa brought it up. Two years ago, finally Lisa brings She goes, Gary, have you ever noticed we have our biggest fights right when I'm, I'm kind of PMSing? I'm like, no, no, ne- never occurred to me. I don't, <laughs> wow. So, yeah, I, I wonder if there could be a connection. I'm like, man, I don't know how. Huh, that's, but since you brought it up um, and we're in the rational zone, maybe, maybe we can talk. So I mentioned our previous fight. She said I'd used words that were demeaning to her. I said, look, I've gone back over my memory. I've tried, what did I say? Was it, I go, that's not who I want to be as a husband. It's not who I want to be as a Christian. Can you just tell me what I said? Because I'm blind. I even sat before God. God, tell me what I said. I can't think of anything. And Lisa just kind of shrugs her shoulder and says, well, maybe you didn't say anything demeaning. So what do you mean? She goes, maybe I just felt like you said something demeaning. <laughs> that's when I realized, little marital tip, guys, nobody knows the mind of a wife except for the wife, right? Nobody knows what she's thinking. And wives will say the same thing about husbands. I know, because you've told me. Gary, I don't understand how my husband thinks. Because see, he gets up in the morning, puts on these nice laundered socks over his disgusting feet. And he puts his disgusting feet into these disgusting shoes and walks around in Texas all day long, sweating and stewing and boiling. And then he comes home and he takes those disgusting feet and the disgusting socks out of his disgusting shoes and he gets into bed with those disgusting socks on. And those disgusting socks might touch one of my freshly showered, perfectly lotioned, pedicured feet. It's just gross. And that's not the worst. Then he gets out of bed in the morning and that's when he takes those disgusting socks off his disgusting and he leaves them on the floor Like, I'm supposed to pick them up. And he says, what's the big deal? They're just socks. No, they're not. Really, they're not just socks. How can he not see that? Nobody knows the thoughts of a husband except for the husband. Paul says, nobody knows the thoughts of God except for God. But we have the mind of Christ. See, that's why I can learn from you. Whatever your race, that doesn't matter. If you have the Spirit of God, you have the mind of Christ, you can be my teacher. That's why I can learn from you. Whatever your gender, what matters is if you're a spiritual person, you have the Spirit of God, you have the mind of Christ, you can be my teacher. It doesn't matter your class, your education. If you have the Spirit of God, you have the mind of Christ, you can be my teacher. That's what brings us together, not dividing ourselves up but uniting ourselves in Christ and respecting the power of the spirit in every true believer that's where I believe the hope but here's the thing we think we can think the thoughts of God without the mind of Christ that's what the world does that's why they mock the things of Christ how could Jesus dying on the cross impact me how come only people who believe in Jesus get to go I mean all of these things they have all of these arguments because they think they can outthink God they think they're wiser than God that God doesn't make any sense to them and Paul's saying this is why you're trying to understand God without knowing the thoughts of God and you can't and if we don't break out of it That's where we find our damnation because only God knows the mind of God and only the Spirit can give us the mind of Christ. If we want the mind of Christ, 
We have to surrender to the spirit of Christ. Which is why, if you're here, you're not sure where you stand with God, I just want to be honest with you. None of this will make complete sense until you act on it and surrender to God. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, the way to know the things of God is for that which is written in the word of God to be also written upon the heart by the same spirit who wrote it in the book. I heard about repentance, but I never knew repentance until I repented. I heard of faith, but I never knew faith until I believed. I heard of pardon, but I never knew pardon until I was washed in the blood of the Lamb. I read about justification by faith, but I was never justified till by faith I received the Lord Jesus to be my righteousness. My wife and I, some years back, got to spend a wonderful week in Maastricht. It's in the Netherlands. Lisa had rented this vacation rental by home. And this was right below the home where we rented. This incredible bakery. Now, I love bread. And Lisa used to until she became gluten-free. And we passed this bakery several times a day because Lisa's in and out on vacation, right? And I could go in there and I could try to describe it. to Oh, the crust is perfect. It's, it's, it's a little bit hard and flaky. And the center is so soft. You don't even know, need butter. Just melt it. There, this is incredible bread. I could describe it to Lisa, but she doesn't know what bread from the Netherlands tastes like or really is until she rips off a piece and eats it. And I could try to explain the things of Christ, but until you surrender, you won't really get it because the natural person can't. So, if you don't yet believe, let me help lead you there. Yeah, that's... Understand first, if you don't yet believe how completely hopeless you are without Christ, you cannot save yourself. You don't even know what you should value. You are blind. I don't want to sound mean or arrogant. The same thing is true of me. But without Christ, you don't, you, you are hopeless without him. But here's the good news. Consider how God's remedy in Christ is the perfect solution for your need. The holy, perfect Jesus giving his life, dying for the sinful you. But then understand, even now as I speak, your natural pride, you're trying to find a way out. If I accept him, I'm going to be associated with them. Everybody despite, we know how intolerant they are. I, I can't, and your pride, there's got to be a better way. It can't be that it's only, it can't. Your pride is saying it can't. Listen to the spirit, not to your pride. Because if you want to know a spiritual life, if you want to truly understand there's only one way, and that's this, to humble yourself before God, to look to Christ, believe, and be saved. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, you have not, poor sinner, to convert an unwilling God to be willing to forgive the conversion is in your will, not in his will. He delights in mercy and he would give you that mercy today you can have the mind of Christ you can love new things you can understand new things when you receive the spirit you receive Christ let's pray